Genesis chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere around you. And this morning's passage can be found on page 2. I'm looking at the clock, and I'm sure there's probably a little bit of anxiousness in everyone's heart. I promise to let you out on time. Just don't know how we're going to do that exactly, so we'll trust the Spirit on this. Um, I want to begin with uh, a photo of a gentleman. I want to see how many of you recognize him. Anybody recognize this photo? Anybody know who that is? Get a free book if you do. All right. <laughs> Besides, yeah, This is uh, Charles Steinmetz. He is... Um, what many would consider the father of modern electricity. Um, He was personal friends with Albert Einstein, um, Tesla, and Thomas Edison. And so, I mean, he had a a vast array of people that he was friends with. Um, Around the turn of the century, he would have been the most famous um, of all people that were involved in electricity. Um, he was brilliant, so much so that General Electric bought the smaller company that he worked for, owned all of his patents. Um, just one quick story to illustrate his brilliance. Um, Henry Ford, at this time, 1915 or so, he had his Ford plants, and there was this gigantic generator um, that would provide power to their assembly line and those kinds of things. And it wasn't Uh, producing the kind of power that they needed for the output, and their engineers were absolutely stumped. They spent weeks um, just considering what the problem might actually be. So they finally called Steinmetz uh, up, and they invited him in, and when he came in, he refused help from anyone that they've been working on the problem. All he asked for was a cot that he could sit on, uh, a notepad that he could take notes on, and he pretty much just closed himself off from the rest of the plant for two days until he finally emerged and he went to the generator and he marked on the side of the generator a a little X. And he said, he told all of the other engineers that worked at Ford, he said, if you'll cut open this panel and you'll replace 16 windings from the field coil at this particular spot, he said, it'll fix your problem. And so they were a little skeptical, but they did exactly what he said. uh, And the machine, it went perfectly. Uh, Everything was great until Henry Ford received his bill. It was for $10,000. So uh, you can fast forward to 2017. That's about um, $240,000. So he asked for an itemized bill, and it looked a lot like this. It said, um, making a mark on a generator, $1. Actually knowing where to make the mark, $9,999. So that's how he justified charging $10,000 for two days' worth of work. And the reason that I bring that to your attention, we're going to be looking at the topic of marriage this morning. It's of extreme value to know how something works, but it also is more important to know why it works the way that it works, right? So much of the teaching that goes around about marriage um, probably marks the X in the wrong spot. Right? So it focuses on the bad fruit. So if you're having problems communicating with one another, so you kind of read up a little bit on communication. Or if there's romance seems to be dying, you know, somebody might babysit for you so you can have a date night. But it kind of misses the larger picture. It misses the larger design. And so that's why it's important for us um, to go back to the very first couple to see what God has designed for 
marriage. And I think that this marriage is meant to be a prototype that's supposed to speak to every marriage that would come after. It's supposed to set a foundation for us. And that's why we're going to be looking at marriage for the next three weeks. And uh, I want to just begin by reading Genesis chapter 2. If you have your Bibles open, you can stand with me. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's pray. Father, I just simply ask for your help, knowing that you hear my prayer, that you are attentive to our cries. I pray that you would convince every person in this room that this message is for them and there are specific things that you want to speak to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before I jump into this passage, I really want us to understand why this is valuable for all of us to study marriage. First of all, I want to share a few of my hopes and dreams and prayers that God might do over the next few weeks First of all, if you are here and you are single, um, I pray that you would know that marriage is not the pinnacle of human existence, right? Um, I pray, I often have heard in churches that people that are single feel like they're second-class citizens. Um, They're just kind of in a holding tank till they're waiting to be married. Um, But as we look at the totality of Scripture, so much Great things happen through single people. Jesus was single. Paul was single. Singleness is described as a gift that we want to help to equip you um, in your singleness to live out life to the glory of God. So we want you to feel um, valued. But the truth is that most um, people in this room desire on some level to be married. They desire to um, be connected to another person. And so my desire is that you would catch a, a vision and a picture of marriage that's big enough to compel you forward towards marriage. Now, the contemporary attitudes towards marriage have changed a lot over the last 50 years. People are waiting longer and longer to get married. The average age of when someone gets married now, female, it's about age 27. Male, it's about age 29. Um, And I think it's partly due to indifference and not understanding just the realities that God portrays in his word about what marriage could be. Um, But it's also uh, a form of jaded cynicism 
Because most of us, uh, if we're honest, um, and, and I'd like you to turn the podcast off for a second. We've watched people blow up their lives, right? Months for us through this series to have a picture of marriage that's big enough to break through the fear and the pain and the cynicism that so many people in this room have experienced. But we're not going to do that by just um, looking to Hollywood for some kind of example. We have to look at God and his word in the way that he has defined marriage to actually work. There's profound hope in marriage because marriage, before it's about any person in this room, is about God. Marriage is to teach us about the character and the nature of God. Listen to this quote from Ray Ortland in his book, Marriage and the Mystery of God. The biblical love story begins on a grand scale. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The story ends on an even grander scale. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The first cosmos was created as the home of a young couple named Adam and Eve. The new cosmos will be created as the eternal home of the son and his bride. It is not as though marriage is just one theme among others in the Bible. So I need you to hear this. It's not just one theme. Instead, marriage is the wraparound concept for the entire Bible, within which the other themes find their places. And if the Bible is telling a story of a married romance, no wonder that demonic powers would forbid marriage. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Every happy marriage whispers their doom and proclaims Christ's triumph. So, why should we study marriage? We have to study marriage to understand God. We have to understand marriage, right? We have to understand that God created marriage to create, to tell us something about himself. We can't understand the scope of the Bible and the story that God wants us to tell apart from unpacking and trying to live in the good of marriage. The story of the Bible is the story of a bridegroom who pays every cost to redeem his bride, laying down his life on a cross, taking it up again to give his bride new life and new hope with him forever. So we have to understand the story of God to be able to begin to understand why God actually created marriage. Now, it's God's commitment to us, not our commitment to him that will sustain our marriages, right? My goal is not for you to try to become the perfect spouse throughout the next three weeks, right? It's not going to happen anyway, but don't even try. The goal in this is to be connected to this perfect spouse who is so committed to marriage that he would use it as a metaphor for all of the scriptures and he's so committed to your marriage that he would lay down his life for you as a ransom and a love that will break through the hardest heart the deepest pain to produce grace and mercy and help in your time of need that would transform you. Listen, listen, this is what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to produce a softness, a tenderness, a pliability, a repentance that comes from seeing the love of the one that's laid down his life for us. That's my hope for marriage. Not that you would have a perfect marriage, but that you would see the perfect spouse. And then as you see that, that would be the fuel to see that picture played out in homes all over this city. That marriage is bigger than being about us. So 
I also want us to be able, over the next three weeks, to have um, a corporate doctrine of marriage. There's probably nowhere inside the church, maybe even inside this church, where we can tend to be more disconnected, right? It's kind of where, where relativism like comes to roost. Like, hey, we've got this truth for our marriage over here, and we've got this truth for our marriage over here, and as long as you don't step on our toes, we won't step on your toes. But listen, there's enough revealed in Scripture that we want to run after together. It's certainly going to look different for different people in different seasons of life. We're going to discover people have different callings. But listen, we want to be a group of people that are on the same page about the doctrine of marriage. What really matters? What is it that we're going to fight for? How are we going to encourage one another? Hebrews chapter 13 says that, that churches and people are supposed to hold marriage in honor and esteem and celebrate that. So we can't do that very well if we don't understand the reason that God has actually created marriage. So what is the purpose of marriage? That's our next point. What is the purpose of marriage? What is the mission of marriage? Why did God actually create marriage? Now, instinctively, we want to say something like this. God created marriage to make me happy, right? God created marriage to bring me companionship. Um, maybe we're a little bit like Kip from Napoleon Dynamite. You know what I'm talking about? Looking for our soulmate, chatting online all day, right? Most of us, right, we think that marriage is about us right? That marriage is about our happiness. Now, next week, we're going to talk a lot about the relational aspects of marriage. But before marriage is ever about us and fulfilling our needs, marriage is telling us a story about God. Now, listen, if you are looking for a certain kind of person to fulfill you or to complete you, I just want you to know that there's no person out there that can fulfill that kind of weight, that kind of weight will actually crush the relationship that you're trying to build. So this is about us finding God's purpose for us in our marriage. Listen to this quote from John Mark Comer, and this has revolutionized the way that I think about marriage. This will speak to how I counsel every marriage for the rest of my life. This quote is that important. All healthy marriages are built around a calling. Marriage is a means to an end. It exists for friendship, yes, but also to partner with God for the remaking of shalom. And that's a word that just talks about the peace and the flourishing and the design of God. This is, this is both a warm, warning and an encouragement. Couples who simply exist for one another are doomed to failure. If the point of your marriage is your marriage, it will collapse in on itself. If the end goal of your relationship is your relationship, it will self-destruct. So the point of marriage is not your marriage. The point of relationship is not your relationship. Your relationship is meant to tell a story about what God is like. Your marriage exists to image God, to show the world his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his justice, to partner with him in bring, bringing peace and wholeness to the world. Just like, listen, what happens if a church doesn't have a mission, right? People begin to fight about the color of the carpet 
and uh, what color the communion plates should be, and should we sing this kind of song or that kind of song. That's an indication of a church that doesn't have a mission, right? They just begin to fight with one another. Okay, so if your marriage does not have a picture of something that's bigger that you're living for, eventually you're just gonna self-destruct and collapse on yourself. Like you're gonna begin to fight about who, who didn't take out the trash and who left the seat up and all of those kinds of things. Now, I'm not saying that, that all of those things find their root in not understanding this, but we spend so much of our time focusing in on the bad fruit and we rarely ask ourselves the question, Are we living out the calling that God has designed for us? That was a primary question that that I prayed about. We haven't done this perfectly by any means, but this is one thing I think that we did get right. I mean, I asked my wife when we began to date, and then when we were engaged, I said, I want to see if we're better suited to serve the kingdom of God together than apart. You know, we have had many missteps along the way, but that has been the overarching theme of our life and our marriage. And listen, it's not unique to me because I'm a pastor. There is a mission and a calling for every marriage that's in this room. And, and, and listen, if you're single here, every book that I've read on marriage says something like this. Ladies, do not marry a man without a calling right? Don't just marry someone because they're cute or you think you'll have cute babies one day. Marry someone because they know the reason that they're on the planet. Honestly, if someone does not love Jesus more than you, they'll never be able to love you, right? Every book that I've read on marriage says something like that. So marriage is about pursuing a calling. Marriage is about imaging God. Now, every healthy marriage that I've seen It may even be in seed form, but that calling is there. They're exploring, God, would you tell us why we're on the planet? Would you tell us best how we can image you together? Because apart from that, right, marriage is just about you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. You let me do the things that I like and I'll let you do the things that you like. Marriage is about something bigger and deeper and lasting. And so, um, the, the invitation for us, if you, if you feel like your marriage is off track right now, is that you can come back to this picture of marriage. God, would you show us what our calling is in the world? Would you show us why you actually designed for us to come together? And that will begin, that's more important, right, than your communication strategy. We'll get to communication strategy, but it's not the first thing. So marriage is about telling the story of God. That's why Genesis 2, and and then uh, you can look at 2.24. This is also repeated in Ephesians 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So what's beautiful about this? I mean, you just have to slow this narrative down because you've probably read this and like I said you fly through it in January when you're trying to read through the Bible too fast is like God brought all of these animals before Adam and he wanted to see what he would call them so he saw the the beavers you know there's a pair of beavers and they're making a dam over here they're working making something of the garden. Some water buffaloes, they're feeding over here and grazing, right? They're doing something, male and female. And Adam has this aha moment, or God allows him, right? I mean, either A, God didn't know that he was going to create Eve, 
or God actually had something that he wanted to communicate not only to Adam, but to every person that would come after them about the purpose and the nature of marriage. He said, there's not a helper that's suitable for you. So he made him go to sleep, and Adam wakes up, and he's like, yes, this is the reason that I was made. He saw Eve, there she was, she was bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and he began to worship, right? And all the married men said, amen, all right? This is the reason that God created that, but he did that specifically in order after Adam was naming all of these animals so that he would know that this marriage is not primarily about you. This is about you fulfilling your calling to build a garden-like place to make something of the world. So before it's ever about husband and wife learning to dwell together, it's about husbands and wives coming together to fulfill the purpose and the plan of God. Ephesians 5 says it like this, that this mystery is about Christ and the church. So marriage is about telling the story of God. Marriage is about, remember that overarching story? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Marriage is about communicating to the world God's design for the world. Marriage is, when it's working well, is a refuge. It's one of the few places that you can be naked and unashamed, where you can be truly known and truly loved, right? You get to tell the story of creation. But also, if you have been around married couples for more than five minutes, you realize that this world is fallen, right? That we also tell the world the story of the fall, that there's something fundamentally wrong with the world. It's not supposed to be like this. So we can rightly say that Um, And this is a healthy posture for every married couple. The greatest problem inside of my marriage is me, right? So much of problems in marriage could be solved if people just said, you know what, I'm the biggest problem in my marriage. Instead of trying to point fingers at the other person, how much time we waste. Because that humility that we even read about in Philippians chapter 2 leads us to redemption, to the cross where there's mercy and forgiveness and grace that can be poured out. So you get to tell the story of redemption. And then you, you heard that quote from Ray Ortland. And then you're also telling the big story that God's going to come and he's going to make everything new. And he does that progressively. That's what each and every marriage is designed to do, to tell the story of God in parts and in its whole. God himself is an amazing designer and a creator. So it's about telling his story. Now, the last couple of months I've had the privilege of spending time with uh, a new friend. His name is Tom Tapping. His wife's name is Yuna. I have invited them to be with us in the fall. They're a couple that have been married about 40 years. Um, They've lived and planted churches all over the world. Uh, most predominantly in Australia and South Africa. And um, probably about a year ago, I was just sitting down and I was trying to figure out this idea of calling. I said, Tom, like, you, you got to tell me, like, what's the secret, man? You've been married for 40 years. You've planted churches all over the world. I said, how, how do you live out your calling? How do you determine your calling? And he just sat me down and he's Australian. So he calls me Chatty. Chatty. He said, he's like, marriage, I can't do an Australian accent if I would, but he said, marriage works best 
when two people are following the king, right? It's not about them. It's about both people being focused on the king of glory and saying, Lord, what is your will? Bend my will to your will. And he said, that's, he said, we've done that for 40 years. And he said, you know what? We've experienced some high highs and some low lows, but that has kept us moving in the right direction, right? So <laughs> receive hope here this morning. If you are, if your marriage is on some other mission, if it's just being business partners or caring for the kids or trying to advance your career or any of those lesser missions, I pray that your story would get swallowed up by the story of God. Listen, every marriage here was designed by God. Better or worse, he's a redeemer, right? Even if you think that your marriage was the worst idea that could have ever been created, God is sovereign over that and he has a purpose for bringing you together. Every marriage in this room and every marriage that will exist, God has given a deposit of his spirit and his goodness and his gifts that he's implanted in you and they're meant to be distributed. So, If you're a married couple here, the right question to be asking at this point is, what is the mission of my marriage? Not only are you supposed to tell God's story in some general, generic way, right? Because we can do that in the South. We can assume church. We can assume the gospel. We can assume God's word the same way that we assume sweet tea, you know? Um, It doesn't make any real difference about the rest of our lives. But this is something like, if you want to flourish, If you want shalom to rule in the home, right, that peace and that flourishing, it comes first and foremost by asking God, why have you brought us together, right? The reason that God has brought married couples together is to have a gardening project together. And that's going to bring me to my final point this morning. How does this mission play out? Every marriage has a gardening product project that they are meant to attend to, right? Every marriage has a different size and scope of the garden, but every marriage has an assignment from God. Every marriage has a mission that is designed by God. It is a partnership with one another and a partnership with God to see his purposes flow in your life and through your life. Um, It's to see the world increasingly come underneath God's purposes, rule, his reign, whether it's your job or your vocation, your relationships, your family, to push back darkness. One of the primary reasons that God brings you guys together is so that you can address brokenness and sin and darkness that exists in the world. Anything less than that, right, your marriage is going to collapse in on itself. It's there to allow us to experience God in his fullness. Now, it's a partnership, but it's also a stewardship. If you are married here, the spouse that God has given you is the greatest gift apart from salvation that you'll ever receive. You have been entrusted by the creator of the universe with a son or a daughter of the king, right? They are made in the image of God. The image of God may be skewed. It may be blurred. It may be covered over with sin and rebellion. But at the end of the day, you have been entrusted with an image bearer of God. 
Marriage is about a stewardship and helping your spouse become the person that God has created them to be. Making pathways in your life for your spouse's gifts to emerge. Making pathways in your life so that you guys can learn to serve together. That you guys are partnering together with God to become who God has designed you to be. And there's this wonderful picture, I think it's alluded to in Ephesians chapter 5, where um, it talks about Christ presenting the church pure and spotless, without wrinkle or blemish. And I I really believe, studying scripture, that there's going to be a day, the highlight apart from, and it may even surpass your own receiving the crown of life, will be the unveiling of your spouse one day. When you're there with God saying, look at what God has done in your life. Today is about getting your spouse ready for that day. It's about a stewardship. It's about holding fast to the gospel and speaking mercy and grace and hope to the fears. It's about coming together underneath King Jesus and allowing him to rule and reign and set the course of your life. Listen, I mean this with all humility and sincerity. God's purposes so often, it's not that they're not existent, but they're fourth or fifth on the list. You know, it's like, I'm going to get my career going. I'm going to get enough money. I'm going to start this for the kids. And I'm going to make sure the kids get this kind of activity going. And the last thing that we say is, okay, the cherry on top is God and his kingdom. But what Genesis chapter 2 reveals and what Ephesians 5 reveals and what the end of the story reveals is that life works best when we partner together with God, bringing peace and wholeness that can only come to Jesus to one another and to the world, right? And so, so many marriages flounder because in the place of God, we place ourselves, right? But the good news is that you can turn away from sin and you can turn away from your selfishness and say, I want from this day forward, I want to follow King Jesus. I want his purpose to be the purpose of our lives. And um, I'm going to close with this video. Um, This kind of encapsulates everything that I'm talking about and then I'm going to close with some application questions and I'm going to dismiss you. So let's watch this video together. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Symbols, shadows, parables. Sometimes this is about that. Flowers are about love. Signatures are about promises. Fireworks are about celebrations. Poppies are about war. And marriage is about the Christian gospel. This mystery is profound, says Paul, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the wedding begins with the groom waiting at the front. He has pursued his bride and won her, and now he just has to wait. And when she eventually comes in, the whole room stands and stares at her beauty, her immaculate dress, pure and white, and spotless. She gets presented to him 
and they declare that they have no other partners. They hold hands. They make promises to have and to hold for better, for worse, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. They exchange rings, signs of the covenant promises they have just made. They sign their names and make their vows legal. Then, as the ceremony concludes, they walk back out again, united as one. Everything he has is hers, and everything she has is his. Everybody celebrates with a meal. Later, they will express their physical union and share all of their possessions. She even takes on his name. Two have become one. And all this is about that. Jesus has made his people ready. His death for our sins has made us beautiful, pure, white, and spotless. We are given to him and to nobody else. We make promises to each other. Never will I leave you or abandon you, says Jesus, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And we reply to him, I will forsake all other gods as long as we both shall live. There is an exchange of gifts. God gives us his spirit. There is a legal declaration. God says we are righteous in his sight. We walk on, united as one. Everything he has, his love, his power, his goodness, becomes ours. And everything we have, our sin, our shame, our past, becomes his. Everybody celebrates with a meal, bread and wine. We express our physical union through baptism in water. We give him access to all our possessions. We even take on his name and his identity. We become Christians. Two have become one. This is about that. This is about that. This is about telling a story through our lives of the unending mercy and grace of God. That's the only thing big enough to sustain you when the moments are dark. It's the only thing big enough to fuel your marriage. It's the only thing big enough to take us outside of ourselves, is to live for something bigger. I'm going to close um, with a few questions. If you're wondering, how, how do we actually understand what the scope of our calling is? I've constructed a few questions. You may want to jot these down. I can send them out as well. Questions to help you define your garden. What kinds of activities make you feel most alive? When have you seen your spouse most alive? How about as a couple together, right? That's a helpful way to begin to discern what your calling is as a couple. What are the things that you've seen your spouse do that makes their eyes light up? What are the things that you've seen them and experienced in private that you want other people to be able to experience? Those are, that's a good question. What makes you feel most alive? And then um, secondarily, if resources were not an issue, what kinds of dreams and passions would you pursue individually or together? Right? Those, those questions get at the heart of what we're talking about. Because listen, the truth is, 
God owns everything. God is more committed to you fulfilling your calling than you are. And so those are indicators of the things that God has actually created you to do. And then two follow-up questions. Who can encourage us on this journey? So you want to be looking for someone that might be a step ahead. Um, The primary way that we do this as a church is in a gospel community, right? So it's not by setting up an appointment with the pastor, which I'm more than happy to do, but it's by you getting involved in community, using your gifts, and people are going to strengthen you on the journey. So who could invest in our lives, and then who are we called to invest our lives into? Because um, to have a calling, it's not just this abstract idea. You actually have to begin to have steps of faith where you step out of your comfort zone and you begin to live out that calling. So those are some questions to help define your garden, help to define your calling. And listen, there is infinite mercy that's available here, right? I mean, we've been married 17 years, and I think we're just beginning to scratch the surface of what does it mean to live out a calling before God. So there's this infinite mercy that exists because of Jesus. And there's this reorienting that happens when we see this big picture that we have a chance with our lives to proclaim and live in the good of the Christian gospel. As a matter if you've been married for six months or 60 years, there's a chance to be renewed and strengthened by that same story that your life was designed to tell. And so I want to close. I'm just going to pray that this vision of marriage would begin to stir something in your heart, that you would actually take this picture and that it would make a difference um, in how you live your life and what you're praying for and a future spouse and the spouse that you want to become if you're single, that this would be uh, something that's real and lasting Father, I pray, first of all, for every marriage here that you would allow that picture of Christ in the church and telling creation, fall, redemption, restoration to be a primary motivating factor in how we actually determine the scope and the size of our lives. I pray that you would show us the things that we're doing that are in line with that calling. I pray that you would help us to forsake the things that are out of line with that calling, even if that causes us pain or discomfort. I pray that you would, in the the midst of this service, and as we're closing, I pray that you would that you would heal marriages that have had no hope, that have had no purpose, and you would begin to bring them back around Jesus. For those that are trying to live this out, I pray that you would fan this into flame and that you would use this to pour gospel fuel on their lives. Um, For those that are single and long to be married, I pray that you would burn these truths in their hearts so that um, as you bring them a spouse one day, that they would be able to live in line with this and not just settle for someone that makes us feel good about ourselves. I pray that you would use this picture to define the next generation that's coming up behind us, that we would be able to paint not a perfect picture of the gospel, but paint a picture of the perfect spouse, Jesus, through our lives, and it would be compelling to the next generation. Father, I pray that you would do all these things for the sake and the fame of Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.